Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive, and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. Welcome back to First Class Fantasy. I'm Theo Greminger, and I'm rejoined by Billy Muzio. Billy, I hope you had a uh, a nice vacation, uh, but you were missed last week. Uh, if anybody missed it, I had Chris Vaccaro and, and Nando Dufino uh, of The Athletic on. Uh, we talked a lot about some high stakes, but we're going to talk about some high stakes as well today, Billy. How are you doing? I'm good. Getting back in the swing of things. I had a busy couple days, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, and then Wednesday kind of started settling down a bit. And here we are back to the grind, recording first class fantasy, getting back in the swing of things, did a lot of drafting, played a lot of golf, drank a lot of alcohol. It was a good time, man. That's awesome. I know. And uh, Billy, uh, you know, that's one of the you're very good at many things, but apparently golfing is one of them. So uh, hat tip to you, Billy. I'm not a big golfer, but uh, I respect the sport and it seems like you had a really good time. So that's awesome to see. And I'll say that, uh, you know, we've really crushed it with some guests. I think we've had some amazing guests on. I think, you know, what we've been able to do through, you know, 20 plus episodes here uh, has been great. But the the nuts and bolts of this show is is our opinions and really discussing draft strategy and trying to find edges and ways to make your team win. We're both drafting a lot. We drafted against each other in a 125 FFPC best ball tournament. I imagine you're going to have almost maxed out that tournament by the time it's done. Um, I'm in a slow FFPC main event. When are you starting your, your, your main event season? Uh, I refuse to do slow drafts. So I'm going to do just the fast drafts. I think August 2nd or 4th, it kicks off. So we're going to start around then. Um, I think we have 10 main events planned right now because we maxed out the five K's maxed out the 10 K's. And then, uh, as you mentioned, I've been doing best ball drafts. So right now, 70 FFPC best balls in between uh, the Bluffing Rivers teams that I do with Dave, my my solos, and then one-offs I have with you, like you and Matt, and then a couple with Todd. And so uh, all said and done, sitting at about 70-ish right now on best ball. Plan is the maxim. I want to be close to being maxed out. Probably like I want to have like, the last 30 done by uh august my time main event kicks off so i can start kind of switching gears and getting into redraft mode and and kind of pushing best ball to the side but i also want to have some darts that have all the information needed to have the best possible lineups going into september yeah it's interesting because i think that like drafting daily um whether it's underdog whether it's whether it's ffpc i think it kind of hones your skills and i i curious just to, to pick on one thing you said you refuse to do a slow draft for me, I love the slow draft. I have, I, I'll, I'll tweet it out. It's, it's, it's pretty sick. My buddy uh, gives me a uh, text the other day. He says, "You know, July 18th was the day that the uh, Best Ball Mania winner won on Underdog." And I'm like, "He's like, I hope you're doing a bunch." And I'm like, "Well, okay, hold on a second. And I gave him a screen record and I sent him like all of my slow drafts. But I feel like the slow drafts for me, I'm in a slow main. I'm doing the slow underdogs. Uh, I feel like it, it allows me to kind of like think through the picks a little bit more." analyze the board a little bit more and then when i get to my fast drafts i think i'm like kind of like sharpened 
are you against that like completely you think that the speed of it gives you an advantage and it gives other people kind of a it takes away your competitive advantage when other people are allowed to like really think about their picks yeah i, I always joke around and say it gives stupid people enough time to think Right. And, you know, six hour clock, people can sit there and look at things and overanalyze things and and really look at every angle where if you have 30 second clock or 60 second clock, it puts pressure on you and people make mistakes. And um, I forget who it was. An analyst compiled all of the points scored in BBM last year. And uh, it was don't quote me on this, but I want to say it was something along the lines of like only 10 percent of the top entries were in uh slow drafts and that like the other 90 percent were in fast drafts because we saw you know value fall inside of the the fast drafts um i wish i could you know credit whoever created that and quote it a little bit better but essentially the way i analyzed that that tweet and analysis was that um the value dipped and people were able to capitalize on the value inside of these drafts because the fast clock and because of the amount of points that were scored. So it's like no team, like only X amount of teams scored over X amount of points in a slow draft where that was like 90% more inside fast draft. So it was a very good research. I had kind of already leaned into that just up my personal knowledge and watching boards and watching clocks and watching people make mistakes or not make mistakes. And that was in underdog that was ffpc that was in in multiple different formats and felt that way prior to reading that and that was just kind of that uh confirmation you know in 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 believing that my thoughts were right and so i i see it all the time in the rooms where people will look at every option and they'll look at what's around them more in slow drafts and they'll block you more in slow drafts and so in fast drafts people get get pressured they make mistakes they auto draft and and things happen and i like to lean into that because i feel like i have an edge I was blocked in a slow draft uh, just this past week. Gerald Everett was sitting there. I was about to pick, um, and guy right before me, hat tip to Biplap Mandel. I, I told him this. I'm going to get you back, Bip, at some point this summer, uh, and uh, I will. I will. But I, I didn't. I did. I thought about doing a revenge stack block, but it didn't help my team, so I, I laid off of that. Um, it's an it's an interesting uh, interesting phenomenon. What about a two hour? Just yes or no? Do you ever do two hour slow uh, slow drafts? The only time I do slow drafts is in the beginning of the year because fast drafts just aren't filling as much. And this is and this is when I say this is particularly FFPC. So slow drafts usually dominate the FFPC in the beginning of the year. And then as we start getting into June and July, fast drafts start really filling. Um, so I will do them just because we have to in order to get the amount of drafts in that we want to. Um, I would not have been able to max out the early best ball tournament at FFPC had I not done slow drafts. Just it would not have been possible. And so when I do do them, I try to do two hour drafts. The only problem is West Coast over here. That clock starts at 5 a.m. for me. And so even if I set a queue and I'm like 11th, sometimes I auto draft and I don't like auto drafting in these drafts. And so I'll set alarms and wake up and look and see if I need to pick and go back to bed. So I try to stay away from slow drafts, but in the beginning of the year, you have to do a few. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It's it's definitely an interesting uh, argument, pro or against. And, and shout out to Bradley Stalder, who uh, is in the chat and said that the if you're interested in that research Billy was referring to, it was Hayden Winks who did it. And Makes sense. Billy, we've had him on First Class Fantasy. So, you know, yeah. we're again, we're, we're crushing it with the guests. Uh, I really want to get a chance to talk to you about the the biggest NFL news right now is the potential running back uh, holdouts or at least these running backs potentially playing less games this year. 
But first, we need to uh, hear from our sponsors at the FFPC. Hey, you know, people always ask me, what's the World Series of Fantasy? What's the Super Bowl of Fantasy? And it's easy. It's the FFPC. Their signature players championship has a $6 million prize pool. And their best ball leagues start in February. And they're the answer to so many questions. Hey, what's the best place to get a Dynasty Orphan? Well, you can adopt a Dynasty Orphan at the FFPC right now. There's more orphans at the FFPC than anywhere else on the internet. That's why we partner with them. So if you want to play fantasy football for low, medium, high stakes, you love Dynasty, you love best ball, you love seasonal leagues, all types of fantasy footballers need to go to the FFPC and remember, use promo code UNDERWORLD. Promo code UNDERWORLD gets you $25 off your first team. Promo code UNDERWORLD, $25 off your first team, no matter what the format is, at the FFPC. Go get it. beauty about that promo code is if you want to just dip your toes in the FFPC, you can play a Superflex best ball draft tournament style and get in for 10 bucks. And so it's a great way to dip your toes, great way to get in the door, learn the format, learn how the draft boards look, get a feel for the software, and then you can you know decide from there if you want to dive in deeper. But a uh, great way to get into the high stakes street with just the $10 entry. Yeah, and if you want to kick it up a notch, you can come draft against Billy and I in the FFPC main event. That's uh, creeping around, Billy. We're we're 49 days away from the the NFL kickoff, so I guess that technically means those Friday drafts are going to be 50 days away, and those are the ones that are that are kind of the most fun because we've seen the live look with that Thursday night game. That Thursday night game is going to be Kansas City Detroit. Uh, so game. it's going to be I mean it's it's unbelievable. I mean we we think about like two years ago, we had that Dallas-Tampa Bay game, which was just so high scoring. Last year was a little bit of a letdown. We still had a, a, some fantasy production, but it was uh, Buffalo just steamrolled the Rams. It was a, a good preview for what was going to happen to the Rams for the rest of the season, but that's neither here nor there. One guy who, FFPC main event ADP, uh, we have a, 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 since July 4th, they've been going off. And Saquon Barkley's at 13th overall. He's a he's an early second round pick. I've been in drafts where he's gone in the first round in like three fifties. Most of the time, he's been kind of living in that early second on underdog, which has more drafts and it's best ball. Obviously, he's fallen down to twentieth overall. We have the concerns of him missing some games. I think that there's some some real arguments with him playing less games this season, potentially being a little less inclined to play hurt. I mean, there's some some things we have to start measuring out. Is there a point where you're comfortable starting to take shots on Saquon? For for you for right now, since you're not drafting in mains, let's take it to the FFPC best ball perspective. When you're on OTC, like at 17, are you starting to consider Saquon? I guess it depends on who's around. Like if Chubb's still on the board, I'd probably lean Chubb at this point just because of the uncertainty. Because Barkley could technically still... He could sit out five games and still, you know, accrue a, a, a year as soon as he gets back on the field for that six weeks. So I think we have to look at all the variables and you have to look at your roster construction. I'd probably be more comfortable taking him if I started running back just because I don't have to lean on him as that anchor, right? If I started Neckler, if I got a CMC that maybe fell to fifth overall or fourth overall, whatever it may be, 
Um, and he's my RB2. I'd probably be a little more comfortable pulling the trigger there, or maybe I started, you know, Chubb on the turn and 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 you know, and and then took Barkley. I'm okay with it. I kind of want to see how far he'll fall. So I have not been taking him just because I want to see what that discount may look like. And if I lock him in myself in the middle of round two, then I know that you know it, he's going to continue to go there as well. So and I want to see like the other one, like a good example of this was like Traylon Burks after the DeAndre Hopkins news. It's like I want to see how far news will push someone down. So I will pass on them in multiple drafts just to get a better sense of where their ADP is going to land. And that's what I've been doing as of lately with Barkley until there's a little bit more clarity. And then if we see that ADP settle, I'll then you know analyze the situation a little bit more and then determine if it fits my build or not. So to answer your question, I'm passing on him right now just because I want to see where that ADP will eventually settle. Yeah. So for me, underdog has been the place where I've I've been you know looking to to get my exposure, especially this past week with all the fears. I have a uh, you know a couple of a couple of teams where I've been able to get him like 25th. Uh, when I drew the one uh, 27th, I think that was that I believe that was like a, a Jamar Chase, Chris Olave, Barkley start. So you're able to put together on paper some some great, great starts. I will say that in a slim best ball format, it's a little bit scary because if if he's going to play less games, you're down a guy for very important weeks where you need to be accruing points potentially. And also, Billy, I know that structurally if you can, you could correct me on this, but structurally, if you use an earlier pick in best ball on a running back, that makes you less inclined to draft too many running backs. It kind of makes you a little bit more of a, of a, of a shorter, shorter running back, uh, you know, just in terms of structurally, is that, is that how I'm reading you? You know me, I, I do crazy builds. And so I've done five running back straight at FFPC. I've done 10 receiver straight at FFPC. I started double tight end, double quarterback the other day. You know, the volume allows me to kind of get creative here. But the I am I am not inclined to to say that you have to lean one way or the other. I am a big believer in value-based drafting as well. And if the value presents itself, it would be foolish not to take the value. Like if I could start a team, you know, CMC Pollard, like why wouldn't I do it and then build a unique team that nobody else has? You know, and so, you know, there's tools out there that you can utilize, like shout out to Fantasy Mojo. I love the stack finder tool. And I use that thing every single time I draft, be able to see how many different combinations or variations does this stack have in the tournament. And I don't I look at that and say, hey, um, every, I'll make picks based upon that, too. Like there's four guys in the tournament that have this stack. And if I pick a different player, I'm now unique at pick three or I'm now unique at pick four. And then I always like to have like two degrees of separation by pick five, three degrees of separation by pick six, if possible. And then if there's one guy that has maybe two degrees of variation from what I, my build is, that's fine as long as the rest of the field has three degrees of variation. And so I will mix and match players accordingly to that stack finder tool that's over at uh, Fantasy Mojo because I think it gives you a huge competitive edge. And so I think that if you want to start four running backs, fine. If you're unique, if there's multiple people with those same four running backs, I'm probably skipping on it. So I think it just ba- it breaks down to how many teams you're drafting, number one, and then you know w- what the room is doing. Because if you go three straight running backs and there's two or three other guys doing the same thing, it may not be worthwhile You know, where you might want to start mixing in receivers because that's where the value is going to be if it's a heavy running back room and vice versa. So there's you have to read the room, you have to be mobile, you have to be water, and you have to be able to you know adjust on the fly. 
Yeah, it's it, it it's very it's very funny because I think Billy, you know, you're kind of known as a as a guy who targets wide receivers, and that's been sort of like a a a, a position that's that's of importance to you, and also to Dave Hubbard. But I think that you nailed it. Where it's be water, be willing to maximize the value on your team. I think at the end of the day, it's a very simple game. You want to have multiple twenty point per point per game scores on your team. If you can nail two twenty point per game scores you're in very good shape. If you can somehow nail all three three of them, then you you're you're in the contention to win some massive money like uh Nick uh Constantino and the Go Bills guys uh who are actually in the chat right now, the back-to-back FFPC main event winners. So, at the end of the day, be willing to to put positions aside in the early rounds to get the maximal point scorers. I think that's been a best ball mentality, but the best redraft players are also following that. I had Josh Larkey on press coverage. We talked about the ways to maximize the end of the first round. I think there's a lot of people say, hey, I love drafting from the 12 spot, the 11 spot, because I get those two guys. I want to pick your brain on that, and then I want to pick your brain on a few other spots. So I'm in a FFPC slow main. I started out with AJ Brown and Amon Ross St. Brown. I love the way that start looks I wondered who your targets are in that range. And I'll say Garrett Wilson was a consideration for me right there. CD Lamb went at the 11 overall. He would have been a consideration for me as well. Are you looking uh, at any other players in that and that one two turn area? Yeah, if I'm doing one team, I like AJ Brown, Amon Ra turn, or I like CD Lamb, Amon Ra turn. That's the way I prefer to go. Um, I think you could make a real case for Mark Andrews there. I think you can make a real case for Nick Chubb there. Uh, there's a lot of different variations you can do. Again, if I'm doing multiple, which I plan on doing, I'm not going to be taking Amon Ra and, and AJ Brown more than once, right? I'm swapping things out. I'm trying to get you know diversification throughout my own rosters, trying to get unique compared to the field because how many people in this tournament are going to have Amon Ross, St. Brown, and A.J. Brown, a shit ton. Yeah. Right. And so if I'm doing one team, I have one bullet, I may not go that way because I know that, you know, even with 10 bullets or 15 bullets, you have to get unique in, in here and, and try to, you know, you don't want to get, you don't want to galaxy brain it because you, at the old, end of the day, these are still, you know, top tier wide receiver ones. And so you want to, you know, be smart about it. But you always have to consider how many of these teams are in the tournament. And how many of these people am I going against that have this exact same start? I think that that's a, a good argument. I'll push back and say that just because it's common doesn't mean it's not going to be explosive. And I think you can diversify a lot at the three four turn this year. Yep, I think the can. three four is easier. So I'll and I'll but I'll push on that one. There's a few guys we really like in the second round. Does pushing Jalen Waddle up to the one two turn to get exposure to him? and have uniqueness make a lot of sense here. Or when you say to get unique, um, maybe you're looking to kind of eschew the wide receiver, wide receiver start and, and pull up a running back. Cause to me, it's like, if I'm going to change it up at that, at that one, two turn, I do think my edge is wide receiver because I think that there's going to, I know that run is coming. And we've talked a lot about this on first class fantasy about the, the strength of the running back position this year, kind of falling in different kinds of pockets. But I think pulling up a waddle kind of makes some sense. Are you with me on that one, or are there other yeah. other names you want to throw out? Yeah, I think you could put waddle up there pretty easily. I mean, you would do, and you talk about these these wide receivers, and we can just call it tiers. 
right? I think Waddle's a tier below Amon Ross, St. Brown, and A.J. Brown. I think that's safe to say. But how many fantasy points is that tier? Is it 10 fantasy points? Is it 15 fantasy points? At the end of the day, Waddle could very well be in the same tier when it comes into the season in 2023. So I think that we get so set in our ways of, of, of tier drafting and, and of, you know, selecting players that we're so used to seeing in that area that people get afraid to push a player up, but I don't think that they should be because there's, you know, so many variables when it comes to the NFL and games and things that can happen. And so what really is 15 fantasy points? What is 20 fantasy points? At the end of the day, it may not really matter because Waddle could outperform both of these players. Is it likely in my projections? No, but is it possible? Absolutely. So I'd have no problem pushing Waddle up. I'd have no problem pushing Chris Olave up. I mean, that's probably where I draw the line, right? But I think that um, you're going to, again, create a unique roster because how many people are taking Olave or Waddle ahead of the other receivers that we just mentioned? Not a lot, if any, and now you're very unique at one, two turn, and then you can get even more unique at three and four turn. Billy, it's funny because our, our first show on First Class Fantasy on the thumbnail was Chris Olave, and we were calling him the league winner because we were like, oh my God, this amazing value in the third round. Now, you know, we get to to the, we're starting to get to the, really the money weeks, the big, big money weeks. Yeah. And it's it hasn't taken that long at all. Chris Olave has passed Devonta Smith on both FFPC ADP and also on underdog ADP. I, Olave is just like, Steaming, steaming, steaming way up. So I think that starting to speaking see- of Chris Olave, I was looking at some of my early drafts last night with Dave, and there's a team that I did from the 11 hole. This is a best ball, of course. It's best ball. Started Tyreek, Tyre. Oh, sorry, started Tyreek and Diggs. Diggs fell to me in round two, and then end of round three, so 311, Olave fell to me. No other team has that stack in the tournament. <laughs> Listen, you, you know so you. Dirty. you it's, this is not going to be the last time that Billy flexes a, a really <laughs> ridiculous build on us. So, so get used to us. And shout out to Michael Edelman, also watching in, who is a tremendous FFPC drafter, also an NFFC Hall of Famer, great drafter. So thanks for tuning in, Michael. I want to keep this chat going regarding the, the, the one-two turn because I think like it's like throwing darts. It's easy. When you're picking at the one-two turn, you're getting two just hammers. But when you get to the three-four turn, it gets a little bit more interesting. I passed on Najee Harris, which I could have had a structural, you know, a structurally sound running back with volume to add to the wide receiver strength of my team. And I took Christian Watson and Debo Samuel. Who are some of the players at the three, four turn that you are targeting and think give your team a maximum chance of like really having an explosive upside? And I'll just say right now, the ADP is 33 overall, I'll start at 33 overall. DK, Ridley, Keenan Allen, Najee Harris, Lamar Jackson, Amari Cooper, Debo. So it's a lot of wide receivers with a little can bit we, of Najee Harris mixed Can in. we throw Watson in the mix? I'll push Watson up. Yeah, Watson, I, I mean, I took him, but yeah, I took <laughs> yeah. him a little bit ahead of ADP. Yeah, I, I push Watson up there a lot just because I love the talent and I love love the fact that he doesn't have a lot of you know competition for targets. So I'll push him up there. DK, I will take a lot at that turn. Uh, Keenan Allen, I stopped drafting just because I had so many round four shares. And even er, when he, early in the year, he was going in round five. Um, and, and so I, I look back at some of those teams and I think I can't beat those anymore because a lot of those teams I have, you know, I, I think that that team I mentioned to you earlier has, has Keenan Allen around four. So it literally went Tyree Hill, Diggs, Olave, Keenan Allen, like good luck comp- competing against that. If you're taking Keenan Allen, you know, the middle of the third and you're taking, 
um, you know, Tyreek in the middle of the first. And so I always look at previous rushers and have, and I still want ownership of these players, but I'm very conscious of when I'm taking them in comparison to where I used to take them and what their ADPs used to be. So DK a lot there, Debo I'll take there a lot, Watson I take there a lot. I'm usually leaning receiver here. I just don't really like the running backs that are falling to me in this area unless like Jameer Gibbs falls to me that 3-4 turn. But he, even his ADP has been climbing now to the middle of the third, early third and sometimes. And so um, that's typically where I lean. I I, I don't – I'm kind of – I've gotten some discounts on Najee lately, like the end of round four. Uh, and so I'm waiting to see exactly where that settles down. We had news that – you know, they were potentially interested in Cook, and so his ADP started slipping, and I just started taking discounts. If he climbs back in the third, I'll probably cool the Jets on him again. And then Travis Etienne was going pretty frequently there, but I just don't like the ADP cost there. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think that it's 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 interesting. We're going to get back to that third round shortly because I think that that's a, a round that we really need to dive into specifically. But I want to flip this question around. The 101 is a wonderful thing to get this year. You get exposure to Justin Jefferson. And if you're a high volume drafter, specifically for FFPC, you can also take Jamar Chase there. You can take Travis Kelsey there if you want to get a little cute. But let's say it's a Justin Jefferson. If you have Billy, if you have, if I have five one hundred ones, I'm probably taking Justin Jefferson there at least three times. Um, if I get five main event one hundred ones, and I'm doing five main events, then I would still take him three times out of five. I think he's just incredibly safe player with immense upside and he's entering you know the potentially the peak of his career right now and he showed so much in his first two seasons in the league we don't need to even talk about Justin Jefferson but let's say Justin Jefferson is my 101 um and even if I pivoted I'm still on a wide receiver what is the maximal way to maximize that 101 with the with the two three turn because I think this years past when it was a running back at the 101 it became almost the advantage that you are automatically a zero RB team. I take a running back 101, oh, excuse me, hero, hero RB. So I take a hero RB start and I go running back and then I'm going to go bang, bang, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. And I'm going to come at you with, um, you know, hopefully the 101 at, at running back and four potential, um, you know, top 15 wide receivers and come and beat me. Now with the wide receiver at the, at the 101, it sort of creates structurally some question marks. I'm going to read the guys going right around the 2-3 the turn. You have Patrick Mahomes going 22nd overall, Chris Olave 23rd, Devonta Smith 24, Josh Jacobs 25, T. Higgins 26, Ramondre Stevenson 27, Jalen Hurts 28, T.J. Hawkinson 29. It's an interesting group of players. I personally think that this year, if I take a wide receiver at the 101, I'm probably a zero RB start because I would love an Alave Devonta Smith start and I'm willing to push up T Higgins. Where are you at on this? You talk about being water and being flexible. Who are some of the players that maximize your build if you have a Justin Jefferson start? Yeah, I love getting Alave Devonta there. It's really common though. It, you see a lot yeah. of these of these builds. So you're not getting unique at three at all. You could, like you said, to your point, you can get unique at four and five. Um, I think that's a good way, though, because there's a lot of running backs that are going in that rounds four to seven range that I really like. And you can make up some ground there. Um, it just, you know, depends, though. Again, it's being water. Like, what if Andrews falls to you? I'd love to take Andrews there. Right. If what if um, Pollard falls to you in three? I'm taking Pollard there. And so 
uh, just depends upon what the room's doing. Like you may have a really heavy wide receiver room and every one of those receivers that you've mentioned is going before the turn in round two. I mean, we've seen it, right? And that's going to push running back down. Maybe you're able to start Jefferson, Henry Pollard. So I think bottom line is just being fluid here and just knowing that you have targets in those two rounds that you prefer. And if they're not there, then we adjust and we take the next set of players on our board. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a very interesting uh, argument because like you talk about the need to be unique, but it's just structural changes this year. And um, hey, it's it's a it's a champagne problem, though. Right, Billy? Yeah. But in like to your point, if I'm doing five drafts, right, I would probably only take Jefferson twice max. Um, if I knew all five of them were in the in the one hole, I wouldn't want over 40 percent of Jefferson, because if he goes down now, you know, if I have three now, 60 percent of my rosters are in trouble and so um at that point i would probably build you know one team where i'd take an early tight end i would take one team where i'm doing running back in round two right i would take another team where i'm doing receiver receiver in round two and three i would take another team where i'm probably taking an early quarterback which i'd you know quarterback continues to be pushed up the board and and so um i would mix up all five of these to where all five of them are structurally different to where i have different variations and possibilities of, of cashing and getting to, to the finals. Yeah. I think it's an interesting <clears throat> argument if you're doing five total main events, because you know, those still pay, you still get a nice payday for, for winning your individual league. So I think you kind of need to gauge your goals there. It's, it's a much more reasonable goal to beat out 11 people than to win the whole thing. I think it all depends on, you know, you have to be realistic here. If this is a, a gamble for you, and you're going trying to be, you know, thread the needle and, and win the entire thing, your build might be slightly different than if you're just trying to beat 11 guys. Um, you also have to pay attention to, in FFPC, the ways the playoffs work um, and the payouts work. I think those are all, those things all kind of factor in. Want to keep with our structural questions here, Billy. One spot that I've heard has given some people a little bit of pause, and I didn't ever think about this because I don't mind drafting here, but like that eight, nine range, some people don't like it this year. Right now, it's uh, we we had the Bijan passing Eckler, and now Eckler's retaken uh, the, the RB2 crown. Uh, it happened on underdog. It happened in FFPC. So right now, Bijan is sitting there for you at the eight spot most of the time. Stefan Diggs at the nine. CD Lamb, Amon Ross St. Brown, AJ Brown, Saquon Barkley, Garrett Wilson. The, the, all these guys are sitting there. Like when you're drafting in the eight hole, are you pushing one of these wide receivers? Are you looking to dive into the AJ Browns and the Stefan Diggs's? Like, where are you at? I think it just goes back to how many you're doing, right? And if 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 you're doing one, I'm getting my guy. If I'm doing, I did you know two yesterday, and I you know I had the, I had the one hole in both drafts. Um, you know, we took Jefferson both times because you, if you're in the one hole, you just take them. But it, if I'm in the eight hole, now you can get really creative, right? You can you can take Bijan, even though I'm not crazy about him this year. I still want ownership, right? And so I, what I'm doing is if I'm wherever I'm at, I'm looking at ADP and then I'm looking at my ownership and I'm saying, who do I own the least of? Do I have anyone in here that's sub 10% that I need to get? you know, more to even weight? Or am I at someone who I'm overweight on? Is somebody at 25%, 26% that I need to kind of cool the jets on? And so anytime I go into a draft room, I know where I'm already being, I already know where I'm drafting at. I look at ADP and I say, who who on average goes in this area? And let's just use Bijan, Diggs, and Eckler for, for the three examples here. 
I may say, hey, I have 25% Eckler. I have 27% uh, Diggs. I only have 5% Bijan Robinson. Although in my projections, my rankings, I have him significantly lower than these two. I also don't want him to just destroy me inside of the inside of the tournament. So I'm going to become more even weight. Now, I don't want to necessarily get above 12 or 13% on him, but I need to get that closer to that percentage. So I will take him just to diversify and to increase my total you know, ownership. So in this scenario, eight is that spot where you can get pretty creative. And this is where you can fill those gaps and you're building rosters and you're building you know, teams that are allowing you to get more even weight because there's so many things that can happen here. Players fall left and right, or you have to push players up. You can push them up at quarter round and it's no big deal. They could drop a quarter round and you get a value. And so this is this back end of the draft that's not on the turn is the, is the area that I really like to kind of mix up exposure. So I will say this. This is one, one thing I want to talk about um, is the, and I've been working on an article for this. Uh, I usually do one, on player profiler every summer about how to cover up at wide receiver after a hero RB start. So I'll give you some targets for running back, running back start. I'll give you uh, targets. If you go running back, running back, running back. And if you want to be some old man sicko with a four straight running back start, I'll what about even a five man? there that I got nothing for you. I got nothing, Billy. You're out. You're a sicko. I, I don't, I don't need to help you. So let's say you, but let's say I think that there's, there is an argument this year for a running back, running back start. And I'll say that it's it's contrarian because we're seeing it less and less. This used to be the norm where you'd go up against so many running back, running back starts that when you mixed in wide receivers, you might have a competitive edge. You might be able to box people out at the wide receiver position. But I think this year, especially, people are so inclined to start wide receiver, wide receiver, that being able to hammer home two top five running backs is actually doable. Uh, you just gotta you just gotta draft them correctly. I will say that that eight, seven, eight, nine range to me presents the entry point to my consideration for running back, running back. When we drafted against one another in the hard way draft, uh, this was uh you know beginning of June. I did go Bijan and I and I drafted Pollard. And at the time, Pollard was going far far later. But I always see the future, Billy, and now he's settled into the second round. So I was fine with that. Um, I. I've talked to a couple other people who kind of like the running back, running back start this year. Where are you at with that? Like, let's take us to a redraft lens and lens and forget volume. Do you think that this is a viable strategy this year? Or do you worry too much about getting boxed out among the elite wide receivers? No, I think it's viable. I mean, there's times where you can start Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry and Pollard, right? I, I love those three running backs this year. And then you can come back around and get a Christian Watson, a Deontay Johnson, right? These are two players that have, you know, high-end wide receiver two upside. And so I think that there's there's a lot of value at receiver this year as well. I mean, just because quarterbacks and tight ends have been pushed up the board so much in redraft and in best ball, the boards this year are so flexible. You can get so creative. And that's I love drafting this year. I've built some crazy teams because you can do anything this year, right? Before, boards are pretty standard and you had to go a certain direction or you could go against the grain. But this year, you can get super creative. And so I think three running backs is a viable start this year. I think four straight receivers is a viable start this year. Um, I love Christian Watson, Deontay Johnson. I mean, you can you know argue that you know Mike Evans could be underrated this year. You could argue that... Um, 
you know, Jahan Dotson could have a good year. There's a lot of receivers. Kadaris Tony. There's a lot of receivers in that rounds four, five, six, seven, eight range that could outperform expectations and put up wide receiver two numbers. And so I think if you want to go three straight running backs and then lean on those receivers, I think you could. Um, absolutely. It's viable. So the low end wide receiver twos to the wide receiver fours continually give us winners. I'll give you that. I do think that the the one one negative to, with the running back running back start is that I would feel the need to cover up so much at wide receiver that it gives me less flexibility to dive into the tight end and quarterback positions. I think if I go running back running back, then I immediately am ruled out of going quarterback tight end like in the first seven rounds like it's going to be one or the other the rest of them are all going to be wide receiver picks just because like you bring up the fact that there's value there but it does dry up like wide receiver does dry up this year you get to like the 10th round it starts getting super duper sketchy yeah maybe even before depending on on the, the people you're drafting against so i would push back that it makes me less flexible and i think like even if I nail those first two running backs, I, I'm I may be passing off value at um at other positions in order to make up for it at wide receiver. Would you agree on that one? Yeah, I yeah I, I would. I think that you know I have there's a lot of late round receivers though that I really like this year, right? And I think they may be better in best ball than in 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 redraft. But there is some late round receivers who are I think have some sneaky good upside in redraft as well. Um. So I think that you, I, th- I still think that you could start, you know, two or three straight running backs pretty easily and get away with it. I mean, you can really, it just depends upon one, how much you grind on the waivers Two, two is, you know, your start sit decisions when it comes to building in those late round receivers, because that's where it's going to really, you know, hammer you because one of those guys could pop off for 15, 20 points that week. And another one could get five. Right. And so I think, you have to nail the start sets. You have to be really active on the waiver wires if you're going to be pushing receiver down this much. Like my preferred method of drafting in the you know main event is is hero running back. I'm punting RB two right, and I think I've just had a lot of success with that because I know that I'm going to be watching tape on all the back uh, the backup running backs and all the RB twos and RB threes, and so I'm much more comfortable drafting you know three or four wide receivers in my first four picks. And and then, you know, finding that running back that I can lean on and then punting the, the RB2. Um, so that's my preferred method. Don't get me wrong in redraft, but I will mix up other builds. And I think that you're viable doing it with two running backs pretty easily. And yeah, it's definitely interesting. And I will say that like a lot of the the sharper drafters I know, it's always the the preferred build is the hero. I'd say that's my preferred build as well. I don't always need to have my hero anchor be a first round pick, though. I don't yeah. mind having a third rounder that I feel really strongly about um, and then really, really hitting those other positions. I want to quickly talk about the one-off positions and and maybe you're the wrong man for this conversation, Billy, because you can be a, a very late round, uh, very, very late round quarterback guy. But I see, I have seen you mixing in, you know, exposure to the top notch quarterbacks as well. So I think you're, you're very fluid in, in how you approach the position. I think you, like a lot of very good drafters kind of go quarterback when that's the edge and maybe when it's another position sort of dried up, then you want to dive into quarterback. I will say, you know, there's certain drafters uh, that believe that you cannot start with early quarterback and tight end where yeah, it would really limit Schroeder you. Thing. That's a Chad Schroeder thing. That's a Nelson Sousa thing. There's a number of, of very successful guys that have won 
you know, six figures, seven figures playing fantasy football that don't usually do that. Do you think that there are some exceptions this year? And I'll take this to FFPC main events. It's very doable this year to take a Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson start. You can sometimes, it kind of really limits you to do a Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes start. You're basically saying that I'm going to use a first round pick and a late second if I'm going to pull off that stack to really guarantee it. Do you think that this is something that that you would want to mix in? Let's say you had 10 FFPC main events. Would you try to build out an early quarterback, early tight end start? Uh, or do you think that severely limits your your uh, da- your amount of, of of explosiveness and amount of like guys that can really pop off for you in the money weeks? Man, that's a loaded question. Um, They're all loaded. They're all we want, this was exceptionally like loaded I, I'll, I'll, because yeah. in my opinion, Mark Andrews and Kelsey are edges, right? Yeah. Those, those two in particular um, and their quarterbacks also are edges. So I think if you're going to do it, it has to be those two. Um, you could argue, maybe you could mix in Goddard. That's, he's not even going that early though. He's going like round four or five. Yeah. So this is, this particularly pertains to Patrick Mahomes, Kelsey and Andrews and Lamar. And, I think you can get away with it. I, I think you'll you know you'll win your league. How many of those are going to be in the overall though for the the the, the money up top, right? And so it's, it's a it's a tough one. I the answer I think yes, you you can still have an explosive team with an early quarterback and early tight end, more so now than ever. Like if you would have asked me this question last year, I would have said no. This year, I think yes, you you can because there's such a huge gap now between the elite level quarterbacks and the you know back end quarterback ones where before we would see like quarterback like five through 15 years past used to be separated by like five fantasy points that's no longer the the, the case anymore that's that's antiquated in, in the scoring and so i think that with the way the level in which quarterbacks have separated themselves from you know i, I talk about the god tier right the god tier of quarterbacks being patrick mahomes jalen hurts Josh Allen, right? Those three really separated themselves from the field last year. And you could argue Fields was in that last year, Lamar when he was healthy. And so, yes, I think it's long, long winded answer. Yes, you can have an explosive team with early quarterback and early tight end this year. I think that for me, it's the the Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson one is the one that I'm willing to do. As much as I like the Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes one, it's like 60% like owns. Yeah, and and also I feel like you're really threading the needle, Billy. You need three dynamic weeks from those two guys, and it makes it harder for me to cover up at running back and harder to cover up at wide receiver. Um, yeah. Whereas the like Mark Andrews in the second and with Lamar, Lamar you can Lamar like, in the fourth sometimes. Sometimes. So let's stick with Lamar Jackson. One thing that we're seeing is we're seeing the gap between quarterback three and Lamar Jackson closing. It seems like it closes every single week and i'm willing to bet by the time we get to vegas it's lamar jackson's been pushed up into that god tier do you think that this is a little bit too much uh irrational exuberance about the baltimore ravens offense taking a big step forward like we've talked about for for months here on first class fantasy how lamar jackson is the edge at quarterback lamar jackson's such an edge but now you're starting to see third round lamar like five spots below josh allen are you starting to like pause a little bit on this one or do you think that the the market has corrected itself um like appropriately it's corrected itself appropriately he goes a little early in some drafts but he's usually at that three four turn at least in best ball like i haven't started the main event drafting yet um and so 
I think that's probably priced appropriately because we know we've seen his upside, right? We look at his last since 2019, like that was the, that was the year he got uh, MVP. It was quarterback one in fantasy points per game at 28.2. 2020, he was quarterback eight in fantasy points per game. 2021, quarterback seven in fantasy points per game. 2022, he was quarterback six in fantasy points per game. We know he has that ceiling. We know now he has more weapons. We know he's in a new office, new system with Munkin. That's going to really benefit him and his playing style. So I think Lamar Jackson could potentially – you know, have another career year in 2023. The the problem is, is that there's three guys ahead of him or even four guys ahead of him who could all have career years now. So I think that three, four turn is priced accordingly. And I'm happy taking him there. I loved when he was going in rounds like four and five. It was awesome. And I just, he was my most on quarterback then because I loved, we knew he was going to land somewhere back then. It was the when the contract stuff was going on. People were drafting him as if he wasn't going to play. It was ridiculous. But we knew, hey, whether he was going to be in Baltimore or whether he was going to be in Atlanta, he was eventually going to land on a team and he was going to do normal Lamar Jackson shit. He was going to run the ball and throw the ball. And he's going to have his his high upside weeks with his legs. The fact that we were able to capitalize on that discount and now he lands back in his familiar team, that was kind of what we projected all along. And we just took advantage of the ADP dipping. Now the ADP's climbed, let it settle down a little bit. This is where you balance that exposure during this time. And you take the, you know, Jalen Hurt shares, you take the Patrick Mahomes shares, you take the Josh Allen shares, you push it down a couple of rounds and you take, you know, Trevor Lawrence and you take Herbert. And so you have to play the market at all different times of the season at all different weeks. And every time there is a influx or a, a regression or a progression in ADP, we have to take advantage of that ADP. And so that may that you have to know though, when someone is, you know, priced accordingly or maybe mispriced. And we have to capitalize on each one of those moments at the opportune moment. So I I agree with you. And I think one other really nice thing about Lamar Jackson is the three wide receivers are all affordable. And I think that they've all kind of pushed each other down to the point where whichever one you're betting on, you can also have correlation there. Whereas with Mahomes, again, like Tony's been pushed way up. So there's the correlation gets a little bit more difficult Obviously, Diggs and Allen is very difficult to pull off uh, in terms of how much you're spending. So, Lamar, there's definitely some arguments. One quarterback that I know we're both on is Justin Herbert. And also, we see Justin Fields right in this range. So, like the five, six turn, I feel like these two guys to me are like the final two that could flip the God tier and, and finish number one overall at the position. I like Trevor Lawrence a lot. And I like Deshaun Watson as a bounce pack, but I think betting on those two guys to be QB1 overall is kind of wishful thinking, whereas Herbert and Fields, I can kind of squint and see it. Are you with me on on those two guys being very good value where they're they're being priced? I love Herbert this year. Herbert probably going to lead the league in attempts again. Last year at 699 attempts with that you know hurt shoulder and broken rib. Uh, Kellen Moore is inserted there. We've talked about this offense and the new OC time and time again. Got to like the way this offense is shaping up weapons that he has. I think that you, if somebody had Herbert at one, like quarterback one, I'd look at it and say, hmm, okay, I could see it, right? I don't necessarily agree with it, but there's a scenario in which it could happen where if you put, you know, Trevor Lawrence there, I'd, I'd still say, okay, possible, but probably not likely. I think it's a lot more likely that Herbert finishes at one than somebody like Fields or Trevor Lawrence does. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think that like 
with Fields, I still think he's fine where he goes, but I don't think he presents the this the exact same like upside as he did last year. Whereas Herbert, you could really see that offense taking a big step forward. I think there's a chance that they check down slightly less to Eckler, which you're like, well, you know, he's not throwing throwing to Eckler. That's not going to be as good. But I actually think it's going to be more downfield targets for him. And Billy, like when you start talking about uh, you know, receiver groups, like nobody has as many like big strong dudes who who can win than herbert like you talk about keenan allen who's like the ultimate target hog he, as he gets old he's still very reliable but then you have big mike williams you have quentin johnston josh palmer's a, a bigger receiver and then you have gerald everett a tight end we really like the value of um and also donald parham who you know there's some some steady drum beats about him this year a very big tight end so i think like Justin Herbert leading the league in touchdown passes is very much in the realm of possibilities. And I think that's the that's the out is that he's challenging for like 45 plus touchdowns this year. I I think it's very interesting. Want to touch base with you on another big thing that happened this week. We saw DeAndre Hopkins sign with Tennessee. Uh, I think that this has like a cascade effect. I think it it makes for me, it makes uh, Derrick Henry a little bit more appealing because I think the offense will be better. Uh, but I want to kind of pick your brain on two things. DeAndre Hopkins has settled in uh, as a end of the fourth round uh, wide receiver. And what do you think about him at cost? And then also what this has done to Traylon Burks and Chigakonkwo, two guys we've been very, very high on on first class fantasy, but now they could be in a little bit of a, tar- a target squeeze for an offense that's still going to run the ball a lot. I think Traylon Burks is still going to have a productive year. Um, when we look at the overall target share, we had talked about the other receivers uh, that were in this 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 passing you know attack, and it was it was ugly. You know, it was Nick Westbrook, Keen, Kyle Phillips, Chris Conley, and there was players that I was mentioning in podcasts, and people were like, "You made those names up," and I was like, "No, they're really on the roster. That's who it was." They're probably not going to make the roster anymore because Hopkins is there and now they got Burks. But I like this offense a lot more because to me, it signals that they want to be competitive. So now I don't think they're necessarily going to lean on Will Levis or Malik Willis. They're not going to go that direction. They're probably going to uh, continue with Tannehill, which I like this this offense a lot more with Tannehill. That probably means they're going to be try to stay competitive. They're probably going to continue to run the ball pretty heavily. We all know that anytime you have the big dog running, the defenses are going to try to crowd the box, and that's going to open up a lot of lanes for Traylon Burks, going to open up a lot of lanes for DeAndre Hopkins. The biggest hit in the projections was, you know, Chigo, because uh, prior to prior to this arrival, he was slotted for like 17.5% of the target share. You know, he dips down in my projections now to 14%, and so he dropped from like tight end 10 to like tight end 16 inside of the first run, where Traylon Burks dropped from like, I think it was wide receiver 28, 29 to wide receiver 36, 37. And it's just because it, you know, he, he lost two or 3% target share. And so I still have him for, you know, roughly 118 targets, but I think it's pretty clear that uh, DeAndre Hopkins is number one. Now Traylon Burks no longer has to beat out the, the number one DB. So that's good news for him. He, he's going to, he's not going to see double teams as he probably would have seen. So I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing for Traylon Burks. I mean, any competition, for targets is bad but when you look at now the fact that he gets to have more clear lanes he's going to have you know less double coverage uh he's really only competing against Kyle Phillips and Chris Conley at you know outside of DeAndre Hopkins for extra targets and Nick Westbrook Keen 
he's still going to have an efficient season and at least be the number two most targeted option in the offense versus the number one. And so I, I still like him. I think he's priced appropriately. He's been going as like wide receiver 40 in drafts the last few nights. And I think that's probably about where he'll settle. And I'm fine with him as even as wide receiver 35, 36. So one thing you said there was 118 targets. If, if he's going to get 118 targets and he's a smash at ADP at wide receiver 40, uh, I'll say that we haven't seen more than 92 targets for a secondary receiver in a Tennessee offense. I think that there's, and I've, I've said that on a bunch of pods. I, I just think that there's like, if Mike Vrabel is self scouting and looking at the AFC, first of all, looking in his division with Jacksonville and how kind of how pow- high power that offense is going to be. I think them getting a little bit more pass happy or at least being super condensed and getting the ball to Hopkins Burks, and then, you know, a steady dose of the big dog. I think that might be the best. of So there's definitely outs for Traylon Burks. And I've started to see him slip in underdog. It'll be interesting to see how he does in like main events over the next few days. But I, I it's, it is still disappointing though, Billy, that was like our guy that could have gotten like 140, yeah. 100, like 45 targets. And now it's just capped. How about Hopkins though? Where real quick, you, real okay, quick. Can you even name the wide receiver two for the last three years for Tennessee Titans? Well, I, I can I can say that what a gross stat is when Robert Woods and and Austin Hooper left, they took about thirty five percent of the targets with them, which is pretty disgusting. So at least at least Tennessee's like kind of gets it. It's just kind of funny to me, like how short sighted an organization where you had AJ Brown in town, you let him go, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, we could use an alpha, so let's go get the thirty plus year old DeAndre Hopkins, but. Hopkins last year averaged over nine yards uh, a, a a target. I mean, excuse me, over nine targets per game, despite missing the beginning of the season with the sp- suspension. Uh, he had some spike weeks. He was very reliable. Again, another 15 plus point per game season. He never averaged less than, I believe, 14 and a half points per game in his time in Arizona. And now he lands on a Tennessee team that doesn't have a whole lot of weapons besides Burks and Chig. Where are you at on D hops? D hops right now is going to cost you a fourth round pick. Um, I've seen some mixed views on him there. There's some people like our friend John Daigle was a little upset about this landing spot and, and it's not that high on him. I've seen other people like our friend Mike Leone say that, you know, they really like it and they think that he's he's going to be fine. For me, I think that like if I'm picking and I need a wide receiver and D hops on the board at the end of the fourth, I'm fine taking him. He hasn't shown any sign of fall off. I believe in the talent. I believe he's a proper alpha where are you at on D hops? I, he moved actually up two spots in my rankings when I ran the numbers. And so I'm fine with D hop here. Um, I think we're going to see a consolidated target tree inside this offense. It's pretty clear that there's not a lot of weapons here. So I'm fine with the landing spot. I mean, it's not the chiefs. Of course, it's not the bills. Like we were all hoping for. I mean, I was really hoping for the chiefs. Everyone was for fantasy, you know, goodness, but it just didn't happen. And so, we look at his production, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't, I mean, he hasn't fallen off in my opinion. I mean, yes, he's getting old, but he still has made impressive catches, impressive plays. He still was, you know, wide receiver nine in fantasy points per game last year. Uh, his, his metrics were still, you know, there. And so I'm not, I don't, I'm not one of those guys that says that DeAndre Hopkins has fallen off the cliff and he's landed in Tennessee where he goes where all receivers die. Yes. It's, you know, there's, they've had some, some, some bad, decisions bringing in like Julio and where he his career kind of ended there and so Bob Woods was one other one but I don't necessarily think that it was it was about 
the the offense or more so maybe the players and at that point in their career where I think DeAndre Hopkins has another year left of some elite play. And so I like Hopkins in Tennessee. Is it my favorite landing spot? No, but I still think he can put up, you know, wide receiver two numbers. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And uh I, I think betting on him like I'm a I'm a wait and see guy for for D hops. He's he's one of these guys that like like apparently lives in the gym constantly refining his craft you love seeing a guy come off of suspension and play and immediately get targets last year like that resonated with me so i will remain on the d hops train i want to you know we're almost in an hour here this is like a really fun one billy we could talk for like three hours here just on structure and and targets it's it's really fun and we'll have to continue this next week but i want to touch on rounds three four five because i think like we talk about how much we love the first and second round that works the third round to me has become a little bit interesting. I think there's a couple of guys that are that are potential landmine guys and a couple guys that have a big wide range of outcomes that kind of make you a little bit nervous. Let's talk about a few guys here. T. Higgins at, at wide receiver 14. He's like in his own little mini tier behind the Alave Devonta Smith uh, tier. Where are you comfortable drafting T. Higgins? I've pushed them up to the end of round two before. Um I prefer him around three, of course, if you can get him there. But um, I'm fine either in the end of round two or the beginning of round three. I saw him last night slip to like 311, which was kind of crazy. Haven't seen him fall that far in a while. Uh, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with him in the end of round two. Last night was a funny one. We were in that draft together. I got DK Metcalf pretty late, too. Um, yeah, but you, got yeah. A, you got a discount on Metcalf. Was it like four, six, something like that? We got a four, six Metcalf. I think it was like the second. Uh, lowest he's gone in a while in that yeah. tournament. So we were happy to do that. So uh, Ramondre Stevenson, we have a lot of uh, veteran running backs being linked to New England and Dalvin Cook is the, the Pats are the Vegas favorite to to land him. Ramondre right now, you you can't consider him in this early third, Billy, um, or are you kind of like, I'm going to draft him as normal until they actually do sign somebody. No, I've, I've pushed it. Um, I think it's inevitable. They're going to add somebody They're They're their actions speak very loudly right now. And I'm, you know, regretting the early amount of volume I took of him uh, just because nobody was there. So I think that at the end of the day, we'll see a dip on his ADP. Uh, if they sign Cook, he's going to dip significantly. If they sign Fournette, he's going to sign, he's going to dip. If they sign Hunt, he's going to dip. So I think at this point, it's a wait and see, at least the ownership I have. And we just see who lands there. And then we can see what what the ADP and what it does and where it settles. And then we can, you know, reevaluate at that point. But I think at, at, if they sign anybody, he probably drops around. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that like, honestly, I would be, I could, I could kind of accept uh, that Leonard Fournette maybe would make him into um, somewhat of a, of a discount. Cause I think mm-hmm. Leonard Fournette's like a lot more cooked than Dalvin cook is, but it still wouldn't be great because Leonard Fournette's always gotten targets. So yeah, targets Ramondre's, and can bruise between the tackles. Ramondre for us, it's like for me, it's like he needs that receiving work to really have that that elite upside. So it's it's very it's very shaky days. Uh, it's very dis- disappointing. Uh, it's Bill Belichick, the guy you never can trust. The guy it it, it stinks. Uh, we touched on Hertz and Allen. I think we don't really need to talk about them. They both present immense upside if you want to go with the quarterback position in the third round. T.J. Hawkinson, Billy a little bit interesting because he's kind of in this like mini tier of his own. Mark Andrews has steamed almost all the way to the first round. Uh, whereas TJ Hawkinson, you can get him in the middle of the third and then we don't really see another, uh, another tight end selected until like the end of the fourth. 
Where are you at on Hawk? Does he give you an edge right now? Is a little bit of a landmine. I like Hawk this year. He's my clear number three inside my tight end rankings. Um, one of the few tight ends that's going to see you know 100 plus targets. And so, uh, gotta look at the news today with Addison. You know, getting what is it 150 miles an hour or whatever he was driving. 140. Uh, Give him a little credit, Billy. He was only going 140. <laughs> 140. Um, you know, not a good look for a rookie, but, um, you have to question his maturity level now. And then at that point you have to say, well, how is he doing with the playbook? How is he doing with the field? How's he doing with leadership? Is that going to, is that going to roll over to the field? So anytime we see things that happen like this, we can't just look at it and say, oh, kids will be kids or, or, oh, do stupid bonehead move. We have to ask ourselves, how does this affect him on the field? And I think that any bad news in general, when you make a mistake like this, from a personal level, just say, just tells me at least when I analyze an individual, that's why I like watching interviews. How do, how do people react to interviews? How do they answer interviews? You know, how, how do they build up the play people around them? How do they take accountability? Right. All these things come into consideration when I'm doing rankings and projections. And I look at it and say, Hey, okay. You know, maybe his maturity level now isn't what I was hoping it was going to be. And maybe I ding him slightly in my projections because of it. And so what does that mean? That means that Hawkinson might see more targets. It means that KJ Osborne might see more targets. And it's not, you know, a, an exact science or maybe, you know, the best way to go about it. But I think it needs to be considered when we're, when we're doing these projections and, and we're doing these rankings. And so to answer your question, I like Hawkinson. I love the fact that you can get him at the end of round three, sometimes middle of round three. And I'm fine taking him even the beginning of round three if it fits your team. Yeah, I'm okay with Hawkinson. I think for me, like in an FFPC main event or a or a players championship, I do like the idea that if I take a tight end in the in the third or even like a Kittle in the fourth, then it allows me to not have to make up for it in the back half of the draft where I, I'm I'm you know getting my running back targets. Mm-hmm. So like I always like the idea of having a two tight end build. I think my teams look more dangerous than these three tight end builds. Um, and like uh, you know this 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 current main event slow I'm in. I punted tight end and, uh, you know, I'm having to make up for it. And I feel like I'm a little more handcuffed. So I agree with you. I think Hawkinson's fine. We saw, see my guy, Jameer Gibbs has steamed way up. He's running back 12 right now. Uh, we've talked about him on plenty of first class fantasies. Uh, but let's, let's pivot over to another running back. Brees Hall, Billy. Brees Hall has the immense talent, uh, has the immense points per game from a rookie. And now he's settled right in for you. He's smack dab in the middle of the third round. Obvious injury concerns. You don't know how much you're going to have him for the beginning of the year. So it's like we talked about with with Saquon and and Josh Jacobs, for that matter. It's yet another running back where we have big, big wide ranges of outcomes. Where are you on Brees Hall? And especially if you've started wide receiver, wide receiver, can you use Brees Hall as your running back one? Or does it make it to kind of hard to recover if you miss this time? Oh, it's living dangerously, but I like to live dangerously. And I think that. If it hits, it's going to be gold. And so I've done it. I think it's fine. It's it's a very risk high risk tolerant build uh, to use Brees Hall as your anchor, especially if he does miss time. Um, you just got to get maybe take a second running back a little earlier than you would if you would like to normally punt RB. Um, love Brees Hall. If we knew today that he was healthy and he didn't have his ACL tear, he's probably a top five pick in redraft. Um, it's the ACL tear that's holding him back in the ADP. I know he keeps getting clocked at 22, 23 miles an hour at, at camp and practice, um, but it just breaks down to his lateral agility and what it looks like. Can he cut? Can he jump? Those are the questions I want to see. 
Um, I'm taking the chances on him. I've got some round four Brees Hall, which I love. Um, I like middle round three. I just like Brees Hall in general and loved him last year coming out of out of college. Like him again this year. Injury sets it back a little bit, but I think it's just a minor hiccup. Yeah, he's interesting. I'm kind of with you where I want to win a ton of money with these builds and and I'm willing to finish last to finish first. I don't think everybody has that sort of risk tolerance. And I think you need to understand like what you're getting into when you use that sort of draft capital on him. And also, like Billy brings up, it kind of makes you you have to plan to grab like the Antonio Gibsons, the Samaje Piran types that can help you get through the beginning of the season. Um, that has to become part of your your draft plan. Wanted to uh touch base on on this these guys kind of go between the end of the third and the early fourth. And I think if you draft in 10, uh, you know, 350s, you'll see them kind of all in like a like a 10 pick range. But it's kind of a weird wide receiver core here. Like DK Metcalf's kind of his own thing. He goes after T. Higgins, but we all understand what DK is. He showed us in the playoffs his immense spike week ability. He's still a young a young player. He had 140 targets last year, the two seasons before, double-digit t- touchdowns. Like, we get it. Like, DK, I think, is appropriately priced. Even if you don't think he has the immense upside, he's got enough upside to justify it. But, Billy, you've got Amari Cooper who last year was being drafted in like the seventh round occasionally fell to like the eighth round. Um, very much a wide receiver, high wide receiver four when we were in the money main event weeks, you have Calvin Ridley who missed the entire season last year. Ridley I've seen go as high as like the two twelve in an FFPC. He's living in the third round underdog. He's steamed way up as well. Uh, underdog. You're, he's like right next to Jameer Gibbs right next to, to Brees Hall. It's, it's wild. And then you have Keenan Allen, who I like Keenan Allen, but he's 31 years old. There's target competition. And all three of these guys have steamed up. It's like the wide receiver gravitational pull. They've been pulled up into a into like this third round area. Are you out on all three? And which of the three do you like the most? I like Keenan Allen the most just because the Chargers and my projections have the most pass attempts. Uh, I haven't projected for 672 pass attempts. Like I said earlier, they had 699 or I should say Herbert alone had 699 last year. I'm, I'm out at Ridley at cost this year. I will, I will mix an exposure, but again, missing a year and a half of football coming into a new team, a new offense, a new coach, a new system has, has its own, uh, concerns. And then on top of it, you know, he's only eclipsed the thousand yard mark once in his career. He's only eclipsed the hundred target mark once in his career. And it was on a Falcons team that had to funnel the offense through him. So Ridley to me comes with a lot of risk and I'm not really willing to take him at that, the price at which he's going at Amari Cooper. I like the offense. Um, but we look at what he did once we saw Deshaun Watson land on this offense and they just didn't have the same chemistry that he had earlier in the year. Um, you know, beginning of the year, he saw a wide receiver nine finish, wide receiver seven finish, wide receiver 11 finish, and then wide receiver eight or seven finish. So we saw at the tail end of the year, it was like wide receiver 20, wide receiver 54, wide receiver 44, wide receiver 30, wide receiver 61. And so I have concerns about the chemistry that he had with this Sean Watson and about how he kind of just fell off that cliff. They also brought in Elijah Moore. They still have David Njoku. And so um, I have concerns with Cooper as well. I'll mix in exposures Ridley. I'll mix in exposures Murray Cooper, but Keenan Allen for me is in a tier above these guys pretty clearly. Yeah, and it's funny, Billy, because I like pushing a couple wide receivers behind those guys ahead of them. Like Ridley, we've talked about um, 
you know, I'm going to have some Ridley best ball exposure because, you know, I don't want to miss out. But in terms of me pulling the trigger in the third round uh, for him in, in a FFPC main event or a 350, I don't see myself doing it that often. Uh, it's a lot to ask. I think you're kind of drafting him at his peak. Amari Cooper, I also think, is a purgatory player. Um, we've never really seen him crack 130 targets at any point in his career. And it's such an overcorrection. Like where he was going last year was too late. Where he's going this year is too early. I think he's a fifth round guy going in the third round. And then Keenan Allen, I don't see myself having too much of either. Um, but I agree with you. I think Keenan Allen's probably the best play there. Uh, you saw how he ended the season. At least like I feel really good about his target total. Um, let's let's take it to the fourth round because I actually love the fourth round right now. There's a few guys that I, I don't think we need to spend too much time on. We both like Christian Watson. Uh, we both think Debo Samuel is appropriately priced. Jerry Judy, I would I would say he's appropriately priced for the fourth. Would you be? Yeah, we're both in agreement with that. Uh, then we've talked at length kind of about like ETN and Mixon. I think it's fine in the fourth round. Would you push back on either of those guys being, uh, you know, anything we need to kind of adjust in our fourth round? No, I think they're uh, appropriately priced as well. So there's one guy that's giving me a, a, a lot of pause, and that's Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones has had immense fantasy success over the last few years. He's going now at the end of the fourth round. Aaron Jones, you know, the last few years has beat his ADP, and he's given you really, really good returns. Last year, you saw the AG, J.J. Dillon steam, where it kept Aaron Jones relatively uh, affordable, and he ended up producing for you. But this year with Aaron Rodgers out of town, I don't know. I think that it's kind of like Aaron Jones is a year older and Aaron Rodgers, I think, enjoyed, uh, you know, checking down to him. We don't know how the offense is going to change, whether it becomes a little bit more between the tackles for the running backs, uh, more targets for the wide receivers, a little less for the running backs. Like, I think there's a lot of question marks for me. How do you view Aaron Jones, an older running back at the end of the fourth round? Is he a guy that you're passing on continually or do you want some exposure to him? No, he's one of my most owned running backs, honestly. Okay. I, I like the fact that Jordan Love is inexperienced because when you have an inexperienced quarterback, they will check down. I think that Aaron Jones, they could potentially lean on Aaron Jones significantly on the ground and in the air because we have two in, inexperienced tight ends, both rookies coming on to this offense that are going to take time to develop and get into the passing <laughs> game. Um, we have, you know, Reed and, and Romeo as the, you know, two, two A, two B in this offense. Uh, Watson, the clear one. So that means there's a lot of opportunity left for this passing game. And I think that we could see AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones step up in a big way. We might see a lot of heavy two running back sets as they get comfortable in this offense. And so I think Aaron Jones is in line for another big season. Um, I honestly have him like just behind like Jacobs inside of the the total fantasy points and the projections uh, pretty, I have him pretty clearly ahead of Travis Etienne and uh, pretty clearly ahead of Kenneth Walker. Um, I have him like neck and neck with Joe Mixon right now in the projections. Yeah. So it's good to hear you say that. Um, but I will say that like one thing for Aaron Jones, and this is like, you can take it with a glass half full or you can take it with like a, like a pessimistic approach is he's had good injury luck recently. Mm-hmm. And I think as you get a little bit older, the offense slightly changes. I do worry about that. I have liked taking A.J. Dillon. Just quickly, where, what are your thoughts on Dillon? Because you're getting Dillon like the 10th round now. 
Um, he didn't take that step forward in year two. Do you think with the, you know, you talk about them using running backs more, does that make Dylan a target? I like him this year. Yeah, I like love his cost. Um, he's burned people. That's why he's fallen so much. Right? Yep. I don't I don't think he's ever going to be a 225 carry rush attempt guy that people were kind of expecting out of him. But I do think that he is going to probably have, um, I think this is probably his most, he's set up for his most productive season. I just think that we're going to see heavy usage out of these two running backs. And I think that we're going to have, I think Aaron Jones is great at cost and he's a, he's a value in drafts right now. So let's take it to the fifth round. Uh, fifth round, I think, is also another round that I, I like. Um, unlike the third round, there's guys I want exposure to here. You know, we've talked about uh, Darren Waller and Dallas Goddard. They're in kind of their own mini tier for tight end. Uh, you are mixing in both of these guys, Billy? Yes. I know you're you're higher on Waller, um, but I, I think that Goddard also kind of like, again, allows me to not overload the position, gives me the potential for spike weeks, gives me a piece of that Philadelphia offense. So I think we can both agree they're appropriately uh, priced there. Uh, running back wise, um, you know, we talk about Ken Walker in the fifth, it's a little easier to stomach than Ken Walker in like the third, like he was. Second uh, was where he was going. Second he was, there was that, that you know, it was special. Vince Vince McMahon uh, meme, it, it, it was, he was special. He was special right before the NFL draft, before it dropped down. So like, I feel like he's got resistance point at the end of the fifth. Like, I don't see him dropping to the sixth unless there's incredible Charbonnet steam. Uh, so I think the fifth makes some sense. J.K. Dobbins, I'm in on in the fifth round. Your thoughts on Cam Akers right now when he sneaks into the fifth? Because I know, like, in the sixth, I've taken him in the sixth. I like him there. When he starts creeping in the fifth, are you, are you in? Yeah, it just depends on your build. Like, if you're a heavy wide receiver team, I think that Akers is a good one to lean on. Um, there's really not a lot of competition, at least touch competition, inside this backfield. So I think I think Cam Akers is set up for a, a pretty monster year. I mean, who's who's going to steal touches from him? You know, they just signed Sony Michelle, Kyron Williams, Ronnie Rivers, Zach Evans. I, you know, the fact that they signed Sonny Michelle after, you know, rookie minicamp just tells me that they're not, you know, crazy about Zach Evans. And Kyron, we saw, didn't do much last year in the limited opportunities that he had. So Sonny Michelle is kind of the best of the worst case scenario of people being added in this backfield. Cam Akers, in my opinion, is, is going to have, you know, over 50% of the rushing share and start becoming more involved in the passing game. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I actually had Acres as one of my like favorite RB targets at cost. Uh, we've been doing a lot of video content. I uh, look for Billy Muzio's favorite stacks coming out at some point this month. That'll be a fun one. Theo um, keeps emailing me to do that. I keep yeah, we'll, we'll, that. we'll get you, Billy. We're going to break you down sometime. <laughs> um, and then I want to quickly pick your brain on the the these four wide receivers because right now in the fifth round, Drake London, DJ Moore. Terry McLaurin and Chris Godwin, they're all in kind of like this mini tier. There's there's some concerns about their offenses. Uh, and, you know, in terms of London, we're asking him to take kind of a step forward in production. We haven't seen Terry McLaurin ever finish higher than wide receiver 20 in points per game. Chris Godwin, you know, I think Billy Muzio is in contention to be the starting quarterback in Tampa this year. But he has like 200 receptions the last two years. So are, of these four wide receivers... Who is your favorite? Uh, I know you have some concerns with all four, but who is your favorite if you're going to pick one of them? Chris Godwin pretty easily for me. Uh, I look at it and say, 
We know he's been a target hog. He's been very productive whenever he's been on the field. Yes, he's had some injuries, but he's last couple of years has at least played in 15 and 14 games. You know, 128 targets in 2021, 142 targets in 2022. I like Chris Godwin, even with Baker Mayfield at helm. So I, I think it's pretty clearly Chris Godwin for me. There, you can make a lot of different arguments, but uh, I, I just have some concerns with the other offenses and the passing volume. Like, Chicago and Atlanta are projected to both be bottom three in the league inside of, of passing attempts. And so um, just out of, you know, pure number standpoint, that gets us closer to the Godwin and McLaurin range. But uh, I look at what Baker did last year with the Rams, and if he can be anything near what he was with the Rams, then I think that uh, a lot of Tampa Bay Buccaneers are being underdrafted. And so I like the outs that we have inside of Tampa Bay. <laughs> Keep praying that maybe Tom Brady unretires, right? Just one more year gives it a shot. Uh, probably unlikely, but I think that uh, Godwin has the, the best bet to finish ahead of these guys. Godwin's super interesting. I agree with you. And I talked about this last week with Chris and Nando um, about how nobody wants to draft Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's kind of creating these artificial prices where I think that Godwin, Rashad White should both be drafted higher. And I actually think Mike Evans should be drafted higher despite all the red flags and concerns. I think it's going to be consolidated offense. It's like a, a Geno Smith away from being uh, this year Seattle um, in terms of like everybody beat up and everybody kind of beats their ADP. Uh, and I will say that McLaurin, I think is if you're stuck at wide receiver, he's okay here. But I do like the idea that him and Dotson are going to be a little bit closer in points per game than some people think. And the gap is wide. Um, I mean, McLaurin, like he had almost 1,200 yards receiving last year. Uh, he's had a very consistent terms of catches, very consistent in terms of targets the last two years. Now we have a new offensive coordinator, and it's like, can we have him finally have like this immense uh, season? I don't know. So anyway, this Billy, we went an hour and almost an hour and 20 here. This is awesome. We've got to keep this going. Uh, Nelson Sousa. We'll be joining Billy and I again. We had a tremendous episode with Nelson, one of the best drafters in the country and a friend of ours. Um, he'll be joining us uh, shortly. Check out his work at FTN. Uh, Billy, what do you have coming up uh, on the Dominator? Uh, Dominator will be this Sunday. Uh, guest has not confirmed yet, but uh, once it's confirmed, I'll, I'll do an announcement on Twitter. Uh, and then um, make sure to head on over to Twitter. There's a poll that Matt and I have in, in competition. So uh, the pod father posted it. It is Devontae Adams, Roshan Johnson, and Justice Hill versus Garrett Wilson, Khalil Herbert, and Keaton Mitchell. We want to hear what side you have. Uh, I'm not going to say which side, who has which side, so we're not, we're not getting any biases here, but make sure you go to my Twitter, you go to the, the pod father's Twitter, and take a, take a look at that poll and, and make sure you get your votes in. Love the Twitter engagement, Billy. And I'll say I'm on the Billy Muzio side, not to sway anybody, but I, it's Garrett Wilson season. Garrett Wilson to the moon. And uh, Khalil Herbert, I think, actually has a nice little head start. So uh, tune in tomorrow at 11 in the morning. I'm going to have Rich Rebar on press coverage. Uh, we're going to dive deep into the quarterback position. You use the word Konami code. The person who invented it is coming on press coverage in Rich Rebar. Very, very sharp guy. Uh, has some, yeah, fantastic analyst and, uh, yeah, tune in to press coverage every single week. I'm going to drop them every week. And Billy and I are going to continue crushing it here on First Class Fantasy. Uh, everyone have a wonderful rest of your day. Have a wonderful evening. And stick with Player Profiler. we got some amazing stuff coming uh, for the rest of July and August. We're going to help you crush your leagues. 
Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.